Welcome to the Sermon Audio Podcast of Hill Country Bible Church, Georgetown. The podcast bringing you biblical messages that encourage you to put Christ at the center of everyday life. We're here to help you engage in the local church and to invite you into a life that matters through Jesus. If you have any questions about your next step, visit us online at hillcountry.life. And now for today's message. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing? You doing well? Had your coffee? You're ready to roll? All right. I want to welcome everybody here in the room, everybody watching online as well. So guy by the name of Jason McElwain. He was an autistic 17-year-old student, and he worked alongside of the head coach as the manager of the varsity basketball team at Grace Athena High School up in Rochester, New York. And basically, honestly, his role was a glorified servant and ball boy for the other team members, the other athletes. He tried out for the team, but he didn't make the cut. So he didn't suit up, didn't play on that particular team. Week after week, year after year, for three years, his role was simply to serve the other team members. But he never once complained. He delighted in what he got to do. You see, Jason was happy to do whatever he could to help that basketball team to be the best it possibly could be. They say he was the team's biggest cheerleader, like hooping and hollering from the sidelines, encouraging and motivating the other players to, to play their best. And whether he was handing out water bottles or wiping up other people's sweat, game after game after game, he was just happy to be there, happy to serve. Like by all accounts, he was a model of true servanthood to the other team members. That's a pretty rare quality these days, wouldn't you say? And so this morning, we're continuing our series called The Master's Plan. And it's all about Jesus' plan to build his church here on earth. And we've talked so far a lot about our vision, reaching every man, woman, and child with the good news of the grace of Jesus. And we've talked about our mission, helping imperfect people do life with a perfect God so that they can experience the best life possible. And over the last month or so, we've been talking about how we can best fulfill our mission. So far, we've covered authentic community, passionate worship, biblical instruction, and relational outreach. Personally, in our lives and corporately, what we're doing here as a church to reach the globe for Jesus. Well, today, we're going to wrap up this series with one final way that we fulfill our mission. It's what we call gift-driven serving. And that little phrase up front is really important, gift-driven serving. So we're going to go after some principles this morning that Jesus laid out in the midst of a little clash that took place amongst his disciples. And I got to tell you up front, I love, love, love to preach on this passage in Matthew 20 because it so typifies human behavior and yet at the same time clearly spells out what true biblical servanthood is all about. But I want us to begin up front here by being really honest and just admit that it's hard for most of us to get excited about serving others. I mean, first of all, there's a negative stigma attached to that term servant in there. And second, whenever you serve, it kind of forces you to come to grips with your own selfishness. Well, you may be relieved to know that the disciples, those who were closest to Jesus, also struggled with servanthood. And in this passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see these men who were with Jesus 24-7 for three years. Okay, they sat under his teachings for three years. We're going to see them acting in some pretty selfish ways. So let's begin here in Matthew 20, 20. And just so you know, prior to this conversation, 
Jesus had just finished two separate dialogues with the phrase, the last will be first and the first will be last, guys. The last will be first and the first will be last. Two times before this conversation, which makes the timing of this pretty, pretty remarkable. Okay, here's what the Bible says. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Well, they replied, what? We can. We can, they answered. But Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. Well, the story continues. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Okay, let's go back to verse 20 here, and we're going to dissect this passage verse by verse. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, okay, Zebedee's sons, just so you know, were James and John, two of the 12 disciples. And the mother of these guys came to Jesus with her sons, notice they're there, and kneeling down asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Now, I have a question for all you moms in here, okay? Do you blame this mother for asking that question? No. I mean, I would. I think what we have here is just a good Jewish mom who wants the best for her sons, right? She wants them to excel in whatever they're doing. And since they're busy following Jesus around, they're not exactly going to be doctors or lawyers or anything. And so maybe she's hoping, well, one day when my boys get to heaven, they're going to be in Jesus' luxury box. She just wants the best for her sons. It's hard to blame her. I'm sure many of you had a mom like that. I know I did. Moms are always lobbying for their kids. But Jesus tells her and her sons, okay, those luxury box seats have been reserved. Now, that should have been the end of the story, right? Now, skip over to verse 24. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant. Okay, that Greek word really means ticked off, okay? It's a very strong word. We always soften things in the English. They were indignant with the two brothers. Can you picture this? The other guys are mad. You know, they're probably going, James, John, that is unbelievable. You total kiss up. I mean... Like you've stooped to an all-time low here, bringing your mom to Jesus. <sighs> now, you got to ask the question, why were these guys so angry? Because in their greater holy character, they were truly saddened that their brother would desire such a selfish thing. No. No, no, no. They were angry because they were afraid James and John might get something that they wouldn't. Like They didn't want to miss out on some of the glory. There was no way they're giving up the best seats in the house without a fight. Sound familiar? And what does Jesus do? Well, Jesus throws the penalty flag. Right, Jesus calls a little timeout, 
And then he lays out a new paradigm for living that places a premium on serving. And get this, Jesus used himself as an example. Verse 28 says, just as the son of man did not come to serve or to be served rather, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, if you think about this, that is the most mind-blowing, startling quality of Jesus right there. That Jesus, the creator of the universe, God in the flesh would say, I am a servant. If anybody should be served, it would be him. If anybody should be exalted, him. But he said, no, I came to serve. And you know what that did? It shocked people. And 2,000 years later, it's still shocking people. Like the call to service is shocking to all of us because let's face it, serving is not natural for us. And that's the first principle I want you to write down this morning. Serving is not natural. In this passage, Jesus said, the way the world works is that the high officials exercise authority over the lower ones. Rulers lord it over those underneath them. That's the way the world works. That's what comes naturally. So the first step to becoming a servant is to recognize that you are not a servant by nature. You're not. And this truth applies across the board. Although recently I did run across a little survey that nailed men on this point. Guys, go ahead and brace yourselves. You ready for this? Women are three times more likely to serve than men. Three times more likely. Go ahead, get your nudges out, ladies. I know you want to do it. Three times more likely to serve. Oof. But even still, Jesus said, this does not come natural for any of us, male or female. What does come natural for human beings is to think about three things, me, myself, and I. Like most of us don't wake up in the morning and go, serve. And, and you know what else? Much of what drives us to be great does not come from the purest of motives. And here's one way I know this to be true. How many of you, when you were a child, you, you wanted to be a superhero? Go ahead and raise your hands. Own it. Come on, guys. You wanted to be Superman, Batman, Spider-Man, Wonder Woman. I, the guys were with me till that last one. But <laughs> Now, honestly, do we dream of being a superhero to help and serve others? Or because those characters have cool superpowers, right? They get admired. They get put up on a pedestal. Think about it. Nobody wants to be Batman to get beat up each and every week by the villain, right? To be strapped to a conveyor belt with a saw ready to slice you up. No. You want to be Batman to drive that cool Batmobile and park in the Batcave and beat up guys who make fun of you for wearing Speedos and tights, right? <laughs> so, so, so what's my point? My, my point is this. Even when we appear to be serving for the right motives, we better check our true motives. Like, we may appear we're serving for the right reasons, but what is our true motive? See, in verse 25, Jesus says, here's how the world works. The rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Jesus says the world's way is not found in service, it's found in serve us. And if we can at least recognize that, then that's the starting point for us to go to God and pray and say, I need your help with this. I'm naturally selfish. I need the Holy Spirit to help me overcome this. You know, all of us in here at one point or another, we've learned to work the system, okay? We get a little power, a little bit of authority, and then we use that to get others to do what we want done. Like, we, ha we have some key words, like, do it, right? <laughs> when we're in charge, it's like, do it. When my kids were little and I walked into their bedroom and it was clean, I knew why, okay? It's because I said, do it. 
Right? When I go to work and the projects are done at time, the time I want them to be done, I know why. It's because I said, do it. When I get home at the end of the day and the recliner's back and the bubbly water's served and the slippers are there, I know why. It's because I've walked in the wrong house, all right? <laughs> yeah. Wendy's about to shout amen over there. But. So you can only push the authority thing so far. But seriously, when you find yourself in a position of authority, you need to keep a check on yourself. Because hear me on this. Just being a Christian doesn't automatically erase the selfishness, does it? Serving is not natural for us. Jesus makes that clear here. Now let's move on to verse 26. Jesus here is going to lay out a real surprising principle. Jesus says, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Circle those two words there, great and servant, because they go together. If you want to be great, be subservient to others. Now that is somewhat paradoxical, but it's the next principle here. Serving leads to greatness. You know, oftentimes people who are competitive by nature, they kind of balk at this whole idea of serving. They're like, hey, I'm, I'm wired for competition, man. I love competition. You take that away from me, like, what do I have left? Well, here's the good news. The good news is Jesus is not taking that away from you. Notice here, Jesus didn't say, whoever wants to be great should cut it out. No. See, wanting to be great, that's not the problem. It's how you get there. It's in whose eyes you desire to be great that becomes the issue. So Jesus says, whoever wants to be great should follow my new path to greatness. And maybe you've been in a church that taught that competition was wrong, so every competitive bone in your body you've had to use outside the church, outside of ministry, outside of making a difference in people's lives. Well, Jesus says, if you're wired for competition, then be competitive. But be competitive about something different than you're competitive about right now. Like, be competitive about something other than you being first all the time. Because in the end, that's a pretty small goal. You know, that big business deal you landed, the one where you beat everybody else out and you know you did it, won't matter in the end. Winning that softball tournament, my kid is an honor student at Joe Blow Elementary School, right? Probably 99% of our other accomplishments. We should ask ourselves the question, how much will this really matter in the end? I mean, think about it, people. When it's all said and done, God will be first, and we're all going to be way, way, way behind. And we're going to love that because that's the way it should be. But if you're wired for competition, be competitive. Be competitive about being the best husband you can possibly be. Like be competitive about being the best wife you can possibly be. Be competitive about being the, the best mom or the best dad you can be. Like those are goals worthy of that wiring God gave you. Be competitive about taking the good news of Jesus to people maybe you thought you never had the courage to share it with Right, be competitive about caring for folks in your community, and your church. Jesus says, you want to make the most of your 70, 80, 90 years here on earth? Then serve others. At home, at work, in the community, in the church. And some of you are going, whoa, like be a servant everywhere? That's a whole lot of serving going on. Well, if you think of serving as a chore, then it'll be depressing and cumbersome. But if you focus on the fact that every time you're serving someone, God is smiling on you, and you're becoming great in his eyes, well, that changes everything. And here's a truth you can take to the bank. You won't grow spiritually apart from serving. 
This book right here makes that clear. You won't grow spiritually apart from serving. If you just come to church and you sit and soak and you don't find a place to serve either here or in the community, you'll stagnate spiritually. Okay, let's move on. Jesus said, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Okay, here's the next principle. Serving requires humility. I don't know about you, but I think most people, when they hear that term slave, that carries a pretty negative stigma. In my mind, flashes back to pre-Civil War era and slavery here in our country. But, But here's the difference. Those slaves were captive to an evil system of man's cruelty. But in Jesus' spiritual system, you and I are not captives. God has given us freedom. We don't serve against our will. We serve as a demonstration of our love for Jesus. Now, it still entails humility to be a servant of others, but it's not a forced slavery. It's a willing submission for the sake of Christ. Now, This brings up a question I know some of you may be wondering, well, how do I become more humble? (laughs) If you've ever tried to teach this topic of pride and humility, it's very tricky, tricky thing to teach. It's kind of like the story of the church that awarded its pastor this gold medallion that said the most humble pastor in America. He's like, oh, thank you guys. But but then when he wore it the next week, they they took it away from him, right? (laughs) See, that's the problem with humility. I mean, once you think you've got it... It's gone. So perhaps the best way to overcome pride, to develop humility, is just to serve. Just serve. Not in some glamorous way, just in small ways each and every day. And let me warn you, make this commitment with actions and not with words. So when you get in the car on the drive home, you don't have to announce to your family members and friends, hey, everybody, I'm going to be a servant, okay? Don't do that. If you do that, you know what will happen? <laughs> like the first time you mess up, the first time you say, hey, could you give me that remote? Somebody's going to say, wait a minute. I thought you wanted to be a servant. Yeah, why don't you get me the remote? And while you're up, get me something to eat too. Yeah, go. See, that can kind of backfire. So, so just live it. Just live it. And announcing that you're a servant sort of betrays a servant's heart anyhow. Okay, one more principle. Serving requires sacrifice. Serving is not only humbling, it's also going to cost you. In verse 28, Jesus tells us it cost him his life. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Boy, that's a sobering thought. Like when we compare the tiny sacrifices we have to make to serve other people with the giant sacrifice Jesus made, kind of puts things in perspective, doesn't it? But serving always requires some degree of sacrifice. George Barna has a fascinating quote recently. He said, time is the new currency of our culture. And we try to throw money at things so we don't have to get involved. Isn't that interesting? That time is the new currency of our culture. So we try to throw money at stuff so we don't have to get involved. But throwing money at something, that's, that's not the same, is it? If something is truly important to you, you have to get personally involved. 
Like here, here's an illustration that comes to mind. Let's say that Wendy and I, we have a date night scheduled, and, and she's excited about that, right? And, but that particular week, man, every night I've had long days, long evenings, meetings going on at the church, and so I'm just kind of tired. And so I go to Wendy that afternoon. I say, you know what, Wendy, I just, I just don't feel like going out with you tonight. And so, you know, I'm just going to chill. I'm going to stay home and watch the football game. But, like, here's, you know, 100 bucks so you can go shopping, okay? I mean, how do you think that would go over with Wendy? Okay, wait. All right. Let's make it 10 bucks. Ouch. My point is to love and serve somebody. (laughs) Maybe it'll work at the 11 o'clock hour. My point is to love and serve someone, you got to get personally involved. Right? You can't just throw money at stuff. You can't send somebody else in your place. <laughs> Serving God and others, it takes time. It takes energy. It takes effort. It requires sacrifice. But you know what? You're going to give your life away for something, people. You're always serving something. Did you know that? You know, some people, they give their life away for a career, and they get a nice gold watch at the end. Some people give their life away for a big bank account. Some people give their life away for some kind of pleasure or thrill that they're going to get out of life or to attain a certain level of status, get their name, picture in a publication. You're going to serve and give your life away for something. The only question is, are you going to give your life for the right thing? Like how much is it going to matter in eternity? All right, one final word about serving here. Look at 1 Peter 4.10. says, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. You know, according to God, every Christian in this room has certain gifts, talents, and abilities. And when we discover those and we employ them in service to others, then what do we become? We become a minister of God's grace, like God flows through us. And this is huge, people. Our mission here is going to be carried out through gift-driven serving. Gift-driven serving, where people don't serve because they can fog a mirror, okay? And they don't serve out of guilt, and they don't serve in an area where they're not really gifted, they don't really have any passion. No, you discover your unique gifting, and like Peter says here, you use that gift. You use what God has given you to serve others and minister God's grace to those people. And if you don't know them, we can certainly help you to discover your spiritual gifts. But remember, all the gifts, all the talent in the world doesn't mean a thing to God if we don't employ it with a servant's heart. So I began this sermon with the story of Jason McElwain, autistic student, high school student, with a huge servant's heart. And I want to close this morning with the rest of the story. Watch this. What we all want in life is a shot. But what we do with it, that's the story we all want to tell. You know, I've coached for 25 years and I've never experienced that, uh, you know, the emotional high of, of what happened. What happened for Jason McElwain, or J-Mac as his friends call him, is about...
what we all want in life is a shot. But what we do with it, that's the story we all want to tell. You know, I've coached for 25 years and I've never experienced that, uh, you know, the emotional high of, of what happened. What happened for Jason McElwain, or JMAC as his friends call him, is about more than a shot. Diagnosed with autism at two years old, now identified as highly functioning, he's never considered himself different or separate, especially when it comes to sports. Sports has always been, how could I say, his equalizer. He's like, just like any of the other kids out there. It's, it's not really a big deal at all. I'm just, I'm just normal like other people. It's the way I am. At five foot six, J-Mac didn't make the junior varsity basketball team at his high school, Greece Athena, near Rochester, New York. Instead, he became team manager, a role he now has for the varsity as a senior. In the last three years, in his white shirt and black tie, he's missed only one game. The one practice, I set up the clock and get the water in games and be enthusiastic. <laughs> As this season was wrapping up, Coach Johnson approached Jason with an idea about the Trojans' final home game of the season. I said, you know, I'm really going to look to try to get you in the game, but remember, I can't promise you that. And he goes, okay, Coach. February 15th, Greece-Athena against Spencerport, senior night. With word out that Jason might play, the student section printed signs of J-Mac's face, just in case. And with 4.19 left in the game, with the Trojans up by 20, coach called down to the end of the bench for number 52. I just kind of turned and pointed at him, and uh, he almost ran right on the court. He was so excited. Hey, Jay, you got to check in. So he hits the buzzer, and he doesn't go anywhere. It's like, now you go on the court. You know, he was so, he was so caught up in the moment. He came into the game, they all stood up and they put the signs, uh, you know, the pictures of him up and I got really emotional and I sat down and started to cry. With 3.46 left, Jason got the ball. When he missed that first three, I was like, oh, and then it airballed and I was like, man, I really just want to see him score one time. I put my head in my hands like, dear God, please, let's just get him a basket. Then. With 3.12 left, another chance. That third trip down the court, magic. As soon as I started hitting my first shot, I just kept shooting and I was just hot as a pistol. Shot, after shot, after shot kept going in. The basket was like this big old juice bucket. And uh, I was shooting them like they were free throws. It was just a big old huge bucket that's like huge. And I was like, oh my God, is this really happening? He has more than more points than me, so he's got bragging rights over me. He was unstoppable for that moment in time. He was unstoppable. He comes down the court right at the end with like three seconds left and he hits this one that's you know, probably like an NBA three. As soon as the gun ended, they stormed the court. You know? I couldn't, you know, I just couldn't dream anything like that. It felt like we won a championship. Everyone was just so happy for me. 
In that four minutes, 19 seconds, Jason was seven for 13, six of 10 from three-point range, 20 points in all. In his first and only varsity basketball game, J-Mac was the high scorer. Truly the most incredible moment I've ever had in coaching. I was so touched and um, it, it was just so special to me that a young man, his dream came true, you know, and that I could help that, it was awesome. What we all want in life is a shot. J-Mac took his, and now it's a story we can all tell. <clears throat> Anybody else's allergies acting up a little bit? This is kind of tough. No matter how many times I see that clip, it still moves me. Mm. Jason was the least on his basketball team. He was the servant of all, but in the end, he was the greatest. Jesus said, one day the last will be first, and the first will be last. Jason was the biggest cheerleader of all, year after year after year. But in the end, he received the greatest applause. You know, likewise, Hebrews 12 says that one day God's servants will come home to the city of the living God and to the applause of thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly. And in that day, those who have been faithful to Jesus will hear from his lips, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. I don't know about you, but that's the applause I'm living for. That's the applause I'm waiting for. So let's serve the team down here and wait for the applause of heaven up there. Pray with me. Lord, I don't know that you could have orchestrated a better model, better example of what you're talking about. Just of being a faithful servant, doing it with a good attitude. So God, I thank you for that model of Jason, a young kid who understood that it's about the team, it's about building others up, it's not about me. But in the end, he was applauded, he was rewarded. God, I pray that we would live our lives that way, like Jesus lived his life as a servant. And not in some huge, glamorous way. We don't have to do that. Just in small ways, behind the scenes, just to serve at home, serve at work, serve in the community, serve in the church. Lord, we know that by nature we're selfish, as Jesus said here. This is the way the world works, but your system is different. So God, I pray that we would buy in to the truth of your system and sell out for you here in this life, so that in eternity, we will share your happiness, we'll share in all the rich rewards that you have for us. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, y'all, one quick second. So, we just heard about serving. Who's pumped? Is anyone pumped after that video? Come on, J-Mac, that's awesome. Yeah, so, so we, we want to do some, some follow-up with you. If, if you're sitting in the audience and you're like, man, I want to serve and I, I can't wait, I want to point you all out to the red tent. But also for you, those that are thinking, man, I don't, I don't have 
any skills. I don't have any way that I can serve. I, I want to first tell you that every single person in this room, and y'all online as well, every single person's got a skill to serve. Whether it's painting walls, we've got a team for that. If you want to serve in our kids' ministry and just corral cats, we've got a place for you for there. If you want to talk to students, y'all, i got a place for you in youth ministry. We have so many places where every single gift can be, can be utilized. So if you have questions about that, please go out to the Red Tent. There's going to be a bunch of us ministry leaders out there wanting to talk to you to point you in the right direction. And if some of you are like, Troy, you're on stage and it's 1031, what are you doing? I'm ready to get out of here. There's going to be a number behind me. So I need you to text SERVE to uh, 512-877-5131 if you're like, I want to serve, but I don't have time today to talk to you. If you text that number, uh, something's going to come to your phone. It's gonna get, get, you're going to give us a little bit of information, and somebody's going to contact you and have a conversation with you. If you text that number, it's not saying, I am going to serve right here in this ministry. It's just, hey, we want to know that you're willing to serve, and we want to talk to you about that. So again, if you have any questions Please go out to the red tent or text serve to that number. That way we can get in contact with you. Y'all good? All right, let's go out and serve. Y'all have a great week.